I have terrible news. You're not going to want to hear this. I'm I'm very sorry to say your MRI is normal. You didn't have a stroke. Welcome back to Sick Enough. Hi there, and welcome back to Sick Enough, the podcast about patients who are sick enough to be in the hospital and the people who are sick enough to work there. I'm Tyler. And I'm Dave. And we're hospitalists. We're internal medicine doctors who specialize in treating patients who need to be hospitalized. A quick disclaimer. We created this podcast to educate and entertain our listeners. This is not official medical advice. If you are currently having life-threatening symptoms, you should not be listening to this podcast. You should stop this recording, you should hang up, and you should call 911. You should also, alternatively, consider calling your own doctor. We are not your doctor. Lastly, we are trained specifically for adults. We are not trained or qualified to comment on pediatric care. And if you have any questions or concerns about pediatric patients, this is not for you. So today's episode is called, When Good News is Bad News. Dave, what do you think that means? Um, do you want me to like spoil the, <laughs> to spoil just, this just year? Get, give me your guess. So I, sometimes when you tell patients that we found nothing wrong with them, they're upset and would have been, you, you get the feeling that they would have been happier if we had found something wrong with them. Yeah. I have lots of friends and family who are not medical. They don't work in hospitals mm-hmm. and they're always surprised to hear how often people don't want to leave the hospital. Yeah. And there's a very big common, a very public misconception that people don't want to be in the hospital. Um, some people don't, but there are some don't. people who go from hospital to hospital and spend all their lives there. But if you work in a hospital, like if you have a friend who's a hospitalist or a friend who's a nurse, just ask them, just say, mm-hmm. do people want to be there? And they'll say, yes, it is very hard to get people out of here sometimes. I, I frequently will hear a patient who I'm just meeting for the first time and I'll say, Hey, you know, this is a little complicated. We're going to run some more tests. I'm going to call some specialists. We're going to do some more investigative work before we, you know, you're you're going to be here for a little bit. You know, I I wouldn't plan on going home in the next couple of days. And the patient will say, no, don't worry about me, doc. I'm not like most of your other patients. I really don't mind staying here as long as it takes until I get better. And like every, I hear that a lot. Yeah. And, And every time I hear it, I'm biting my tongue and I'm like, buddy, that makes you the the majority. You are not the exception. That's what every patient says. (laughs) It's just a very strange phenomenon that I don't think is very well known or very well understood Mm -hmm. in the lay public. And there are a lot of reasons which could account for this. And I think some of them are are acceptable, for lack of a better word, politically correct. Uh, Some of them, though, it drives me nuts that it makes me really wish we just had like a button we could push and then the patient would just leave the hospital and I don't have to talk to them six more times. I used to joke that I wish there was like a slide that would carry people out of the hospital. We could just hit a button on the wall and like they would just drop down into the slide and just coast out, you know, like those old time right out to the hospital. You're right out to the, the side of the hospital. Those old time was it like a vaudeville show when the hook just comes in from the side <laughs> and grabs them and yanks them out. Some of the reasons I think people are reluctant to leave the hospital. By the way, this is, I'm going to say this is 30 to 50% of my discharges. And by that, mm-hmm. I mean, let's say after I finish rounds on Tuesday, let's say that I've got seven patients who I'm going to try to discharge today. I'm going to bet three of those seven don't want to go. Do you think mm-hmm. that's a fair number? I think so. Two, I think... The range is two to four. Let's split the odds and call it three. Yeah. That sounds about right. And this is every day, guys. This isn't like, oh, I had a weird week or a weird day. This is every day. About half of my patients don't want to leave the hospital. And so I'm getting into the reasons as to why that is. I think a very, very understandable, very acceptable is maybe they're just still afraid they're sick. 
Maybe they're still having some symptoms. Maybe they're still having that chest pain that brought them in. Maybe they're mm-hmm. still nauseous. We've talked about this kind of in past episodes that the big role of the hospital is to rule out the dangerous stuff, to rule out the stuff that's life-threatening yeah. or to do tests that you couldn't get done as an outpatient. And once we've done those things, sometimes you do have to become an outpatient to complete your testing or to get the yeah. rest of your testing done. And I think chest pain is a good example of that because, and that was one you just mentioned. Right. Someone comes in, they're having chest pain. They're worried they have a heart attack. We do have the heart test. The heart tests are normal. So we're going to discharge you. Yeah. But my chest still hurts. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. You're not going to die. Your heart's fine. You got to go. Yeah. I've had patients who've kind of questioned me and, and just say, do you not believe I'm having pain? And no, I definitely believe that you're having pain, but we've ruled out the really scary stuff. The next step is talking to your doctor about GI tests yeah. or, or going, rib strains. Yeah. Muscle injuries. Yeah. Or, or taking these medicines we've prescribed to help with your indigestion. And I, I do think symptomatic relief is a minor reason to be in the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone is throwing up for four days and they can't keep any food down, that that that's a reason. That's for, a legit reason. For, you know, at minimum an overnight stay and maybe two days. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think symptomatic relief is a huge, like, major, like, overarching reason someone should be in the hospital. And I do think a lot of people need to understand you're going to go home before you feel 100% better. That's definitely true. Yeah. And even in that case, you mentioned kind of nausea and vomiting. I think a lot of patients misunderstand and think the the IV medicine works. That's what I'm going to stick with. And I'm going to stick with only that from now on. And you can't do IV stuff at home. Yeah. You can't do IV stuff at home. So we let's use the IV stuff is a bridge to get you onto a regimen that's going to work for you at home. And it can be really hard to convince people to shift from getting the medicine through the IV that is really helping them or really easing that symptom onto a medicine that they could take at home that might not be quite as fast as the IV stuff. Yeah. So when someone's afraid they're still sick or they still need some symptomatic relief, I think that is a by and large acceptable I get it. I know. I get, I get exactly it. where they're coming from. And when, yeah. when that's the reason they don't want to go, you know, I, I try my best to be understanding and patient and calm with them mm-hmm. and just remind them that, hey, I know you don't feel 100%, but you got to go anyway. And it helps when I get the nurse in there with me, too, because mm-hmm. four times out of five, the nurse is on my side and we go in there and we tell them, hey, we can give you some Zofran and some Tramadol and you can go home fine. By the way, nice patients, I'm so much more willing to give them a grace period than yes. like if, if it's somebody who's just made my life miserable every single day yeah. i'm getting that person discharged <laughs> as early as as early as is appropriate you know another reason i think people don't want to go is because they are better off here than at home and a, a classic example of this is something dave dealt with a lot you know if they need rehab and insurance doesn't pay for rehab mm-hmm. well they would get better rehab if they stayed here potentially that definitely is a very gray area of yeah. what do we do then they're not great at home, but they're also, you can't really keep someone in a hospital strictly for rehab. So it, it puts everyone in a tough situation when that happens. And that happens a lot. Yeah. And so I, I do feel like, all right, I'm going to discharge you. Well, I'm still weak and can't get out of bed. And then insurance won't pay for me to go to rehab. How am I supposed to go home if I can't even get up the stairs? I mean, that sucks. That That is yeah. that is another one that like, it sucks for them. It sucks for me. It sucks for the hospital. It sucks for everyone. Screw the insurance companies. I, I hate them, but I mean, it happens. And so that's something mm-hmm. that is another reason people don't want to go. Yeah. Kind of related to that is some people just don't have good living conditions at home. Yeah. And I know some of our patients live in a double wild trailer with 
six cousins, two uncles, seven kids, and four dogs, mm-hmm. where there's like four people per bed, and the power got shut off last week. To them, it's kind of nice just being yeah. in this hospital. They get the room to themselves. They get HVAC. They got a nurse giving them food. And this yeah. isn't me belittling people in an unfortunate financial situation. This is just me explaining why I think a lot of people don't want to leave because they don't want their vacation to end. Yeah, I, th- I think you're exactly right. And I saw this. I see this all the time where people, their power's cut off so they don't have AC at home. So they come into the hospital or the pantry's empty and they don't have any food. So they come to the hospital. And it's frustrating for us because these are these are social issues that we should probably have better social resources to take care of. Yeah. We've been talking about doing kind of a medical economics episode. This is a really expensive way to provide family with or to provide a person with meals, to put them in a hospital bed with nursing and doctors looking in on them all the time. That's an expensive way to provide somebody with meals. Yeah. It's like $4,500 um, a day per patient. Yeah. This is where kind of some social services might yeah. might go a little bit further to ease the burden on kind of the healthcare system. And that's what we've got our case managers for. Yeah. So. But no, I think you're exactly right. And along those same lines, I've seen a lot of prisoners who come into the hospital kind of for that reason, because, you know, either somebody's targeting them in the prison and yeah. they need to, they just need to get out. And so they swallow some razor blades. They know they're going to the hospital. You named it. That's exactly what they do. <laughs> I saw a guy one time who swallowed a bunch of deck screws and he, and before this he had been in the hospital because he had basically drilled through his own hand and he hated his job so much. He was a construction worker. He hated his job so much that he was harming himself on the job so that he would get workers comp and would be able to just stay at home for a month or so at a time. And then when he was about to have to go back to work, he swallowed deck screws so he could come back in the hospital. And yeah. that's not going to get you workers comp by the no, way. Yeah. But <laughs> I think that, that probably failed. Yeah, I think that probably tipped his company off that he was harming himself uh, if they found out about it. But if you hate your job that much, just quit. It's not worth it. Don't drill through your own hand. So, The reasons up until now I've mentioned are the reasons where I am. I try to be sympathetic and I try to be understanding with the patient. Mm-hmm. And when I go in there and tell them that, hey, you have to go home, even if you don't want to go home. I try to be compassionate and understanding and, and sit down and listen to them and explain their fears. I got a couple other reasons here that patients don't want to go, and these I have less patience for. And Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say we're politically incorrect here, but this is a part of our job, and this is what we see in hospitals. I think some people just love the excitement and the drama. I think they just love, you go home and you go in their Netflix queue, you see Grey's Anatomy, and you see ER, (laughs) and you see The Resident. And so then they actually get to be a patient. Oh my yeah. gosh, it's just like a TV show. Why watch Grey's Anatomy when you can be a part of the action? You can be a patient yourself. Oh, goodness (laughs) gracious. And... I see that a lot more in my current job than I did in my previous job because big, huge building with lots of beds in it. There's a lot of hustle and bustle. There's a lot going on. There's, oh, look at that doctor. Oh, look at that nurse. And it's just (laughs) really cool for them to be there. Mm -hmm. And then when this mean old Dr. Tyler comes by and says, I'm kicking you out, which is funny because I frequently have patients say, you're kicking me out. No, I'm discharging you. I'm not (laughs) kicking you out. I'm discharging you. The term kicking out gets brought up a lot when I'm discharging them before they're ready to go. But don't be mistaken. Security will kick people out. Yeah, we, and we do that. I've Three times in my career, I've had a patient just yeah. simply say, I'm not getting out of this bed, period. And we've literally called security to come up and drag them out kicking and scream. It, it doesn't happen every day. <laughs> yeah. I, I graduated from residency six, five, six years ago, and I've done it maybe three times. But mm-hmm. I mean, it happens. And people, this is not for excitement and fun. This is for if you're sick and dying, you need to be here. Yeah. I've, I've seen some lonely people too. There's a guy I can think of who often got admitted to one of our top floors in the hospital. And 
But I just remember he was just really lonely and he would come in for really vague reasons. Like you'd say he was short of breath and he had, you know, a history that was good enough that would get him admitted. And then he would just kind of hang out with the nurses all day and chat. And he was always wearing, he would wear like Mardi Gras beads and a hat. And like, he was always, you know, yeah, kind of dressing, not flamboyantly, but you know, yeah, dressing to start to spark a conversation. And I think he was just lonely. And I think he liked the com- the company of being in the hospital with, and by this point, he knew the nurses because he had, this was not his first rodeo. And yeah. It's a social thing for him. Yeah. I can think of one patient who I'm sure you know very well. He was a patient who had a massive stroke and was debilitated mm-hmm. on the right side of his body, and he had no insurance. And he was on yeah. our stroke floor for a long time getting rehabilitation. If this is who I'm thinking of, he drove me up a wall. Yeah. And and, and he was there for, for a couple months, if I remember correctly, just because yeah. his stroke was so massive and his he had no insurance, so he was not going to rehab. And I think we eventually noticed... That when his nurse was a cute, young, pretty female, yeah. his stroke symptoms got real bad. <laughs> but if he had a nurse who was a male or yeah. you know, maybe not a cute, young, pretty female, he seemed to do better. Yeah. And so I think we ultimately, I don't know if this was official or unofficial, but we said for this patient, he only gets male, male nurses. nurses. Yeah. And he didn't stay in the hospital very much longer after that. I mean, this is a true story, guys. No, it, it's a true story. I, I could tell you the, all of the backstory with him, but... So if I remember correctly, we told him he needed to go to rehab. He didn't have insurance, but he did have, he was, he would have been able to have paid for it out of pocket. And at the time, I think the stock market was down and he didn't want to, didn't want to trade in his stocks to have to pay for rehab. So he basically just said, no, that's not an option. And so we did rehab with him in the hospital to get him strong enough to go home and told him. When you get home, don't go to the second floor, only stay on the ground floor. We made all these plans, all these intricate plans so that he would not bounce back to the hospital. And as soon as he got home, what did he do? He went upstairs. He got stranded. He fell and then was down for like 12 hours, pooped on the floor and rolled around his own poop. And his son found him. And he came back into the hospital, like cursing my name because I discharged him. Yeah, I remember that. And he and I, we actually had a fairly... uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the the right way to put it, but we had a fairly candid conversation yeah. where he basically was like, you discharged me too soon. And I said, I basically said you needed to go to rehab. Or he said, I think before, uh, before he said, you discharged me too soon. He said, if I had known it was going to be like this, I just would have paid for rehab. And I said, we told you, you needed to go to rehab. Yeah. You said you couldn't afford it. We did our best to, to accommodate, to make accommodations for you at home, but you didn't follow any of our instructions and you did, exactly what what we told you not to do what did you think was going to happen and he was mostly upset because his son found him in a pile of feces on the floor yeah i get that but maybe maybe listen to our recommendations sometimes so that that brings up a pet peeve of mine i was gonna we have some patients who are in and out of the hospital all the time Mm -hmm. and they always say now the last three times you discharged me i came right back here and just a week. I, I'm not going home early this time. I am not going home until I am ready to go home because you just send me home too quickly. Well, I have never seen a study that relates readmission rate with length of stay. Mm-hmm. Being here in the hospital, we're not this warm, fuzzy aura that just makes you get better by osmosis. Yeah. The real reason they come back so quickly is because they go home and they stop taking their medications and they fire up those Marlboros and they mm-hmm. eat whatever they want. That's why you come back to hospital in less than a week. And yeah. I can't fix that for you. You have to fix that for but you. While they're in the hospital, we are kind of enforcing and kind of laying down the law. And they, so, yeah, that, and that's so they magically do better. If they know. had some 
self-discipline, mm-hmm. they, they would not have to keep coming back so often. And that's another challenging readmission, or I guess challenging barrier to discharge. <laughs> it reminds me of a patient I saw as a resident. She, she, she was there for heart failure. And as, a, as you know, heart failure patients can be hard to keep out of the hospital yeah. sometimes. During for like all her, the reasons you just mentioned. During like her third admission in a six-week period, I'm explaining to my attending how we're diuresing the heck out of her. And I go in there for rounds. She's eating a salami. Like unwrap the salami and eating like a banana. <laughs> yeah. Like as she's in the heart failure and in, in the hospital for heart failure. Like, are you kidding me? Like, what are we doing here? This is a waste of everyone's time. Yeah. I think some people too, in addition to what we talked of, they just got that like alpha dog personality. They don't like being told what to do. Mm-hmm. When I walk in with my white coat and my stethoscope, they're like, they feel the need to puff up their chest and show me that they're in charge of me, not the other <laughs> way around. And I try as hard as I can not to be confrontational and not Mm -hmm. try to make this about me. I do, but some people are just going to interpret that no matter what I say, no matter what I do. And when I tell them it's time to go, they say, no, I need one more day just to prove that they're the boss. Mm -hmm. And that's another, I got to be so careful and delicate, even though in my mind, I'm like biting my tongue. I get frustrated at how often I have to come up with strategies and Mm -hmm. ways to get people discharged quotes and tricks. Like I, (laughs) one of, one of my favorite ones, it's like, I, I can tell who doesn't want to go. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just by reading the chart before we've even met the patient, I can tell who doesn't want to go. And so when I'm getting ready to round on this patient and I'm going to tell them they're going to go and I know they're not, they're going to argue with me. I'll start with by saying, hey, listen, so I got some good news. <laughs> Are you ready to hear some good news? <laughs> and and when I say that to someone. But good news is bad news. Yeah, they're like, they, I, when I say it like that, they're like, they furrow their brow and they squint and they're like, okay. And I'm like, your test is normal. Everything's fine. And, and then I can just look on their face and I see like the right half of the brain fighting with the left half of the mm-hmm. brain. And I can tell they're really upset, but they can't show me they're upset. And so like, well, wow, what does that mean? And I say, <laughs> you get to go home today. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that wonderful? And I feel like by starting off with the good news speech, mm-hmm. I kind of paint them into a corner. <laughs> and, and and their ability to argue with me becomes diminished. Do you have any strategy? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you have any ways yeah. that you can? So it's tricky if it's somebody that has only been in the hospital for like a night or something. Yeah. But for people who are there for a couple of days, I'll sort of start off on day one being like, okay, here's what we need to do to get you back home. And day two, I'll sort of be like, okay, so fingers crossed tomorrow is going to be the day. You know, I'll sort of give them a little bit of a warning so that when that day comes, they're not saying, I just need one more day. Yeah. One more day. I can say, well, you know, we talked about this yesterday. These are the big things we needed to get accomplished. And, you know, I know we've been using kind of whiteboards to kind of keep track of like tasks that need to be done. And when we have all those tests done, I can cross them off on the board and say, look, we're done. We've accomplished what we came, you know, what you came in here to accomplish. And obviously that doesn't work for everybody, but yeah. Sometimes I feel people feel like it was sprung on them or like it was a surprise. Yeah. And that's when I see people kind of reacting badly to it. But if it's not that much of a surprise to them, then they sort of know it's maybe it's that time. This relates a little bit to something we talked about in a bygone episode, syncope. Yeah. And on that syncope episode, you asked me, what's most syncope? And I said, without even looking, yeah, dehydration. dehydration. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so a, a very common, a bread and butter part of my job as a hospitalist is, Family beings, grandma in the hospital, mm-hmm. they're convinced grandma had a stroke. They're yeah. just, they know it's a stroke. I am convinced it's dehydration and it's not a stroke. And so we get the MRI, the MRI is normal. We give them the fluids, they feel better. We give them the fluids, their electrolytes improve. In that syncope episode, I said, kind of close to the end of the episode, I said, hey, when your hospitalist comes in and tells you everything's fine mm-hmm. and grandma is dehydrated, 
will you please believe them? And, and I'm bringing this back up now because a second ago I said a lot of people are still afraid that they're still sick. Yeah. And I feel so much uncertainty and so much tension from family members. No, no, this was a stroke. I know this is a stroke. And I'm like, listen, the MRI was normal. There was yeah. no stroke. By definition, it couldn't have been a stroke. Right. My, yeah. my suspicion before the MRI was that this is not a stroke and this was simply dehydration. And mm-hmm. now that the MRI shows normal, I mean, I'm telling you guys, like, grandma's good to go. Like, she just forgot to drink her electrolytes for a day or mm-hmm. two. That's all we got to do is remind her to eat. And this is not a hospital admission anymore. And this this tension between me and the patient's family is so frustratingly common. And I, I try so hard to be empathetic. But, man, it, it comes up so often. It gets so frustrating. I think, so, coming at it from from another perspective or kind of from the family perspective, I've certainly encountered family members needing to be hospitalized because of, you know, stuff that was happening. And when they're out of the hospital, to, you know, it is a huge burden for family members to take care of them. And so I think there are a lot of times family members are like, are you sure they don't need to stay another day? Because because once they're out of the hospital, that family member is sort of back in charge and back yeah. on duty. And we had dinner plans tonight. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we've we sort of joke about about something called a pop drop, which yes. is. Pop drop's a real thing. Yeah, which is where loved ones bring their pop into the hospital, drop them off in the ER and say, something's wrong, and then they disappear. Yep. And we wind up having to admit the person because no one will come and get him. And something's wrong. Meanwhile, somebody gets a vacation <laughs> or someone goes on vacation. Something's so. wrong. We'll be back Monday to pick them up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Well, that's all I have for this episode. Dave, anything else you want to add or no, talk I about? that's it. That's it for our episode about how good news is bad news. I'd like to... Thank Swede Custom Studios and Two Birds Artwork for helping us with a thumbnail on our website. Dave? I'd like to thank Alex, our sound engineer, and Michael Coburn and Pixabay.com for our intro music. And of course, I'd like to thank our listeners. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. All right, guys. See you next time.